Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. You guys ready for the word this morning? I'll tell you what, I just want you to uh, really pay attention uh, to what we're going to share, what I'm going to share today. I've been on a series called Healing and Restoring the Family. And I want to just say this. And I said this in the back, and I want to say it starting now and before we pray. I want everyone to get your Bibles out. But every time, faith comes by what? Hearing of the Word. But also know this. When you hear a specific topic in a series, the enemy will test you on what you've learned. The enemy will test you in what you have learned. In other words, don't think that when we're talking about families that everything is going to be just hunky-dory with your family. There's things going to start rising up that you've been burying, and that's actually good. That's actually good. So when, when things, tears and things and hurts and reminders of things and fractures and brokenness in your family or marriage start to happen, know this, it's not to condemn you. The word comes to enlighten things. Listen, and sometimes we do have to remember our painful past so that we could allow the Lord to confront it and heal it. Can I hear an amen? And so I'm going to, today's uh, subtitle can be uh, two. Like that, it's part three of healing and restoring the family. But today, the the subtitle, I've called it, now listen, zoom in on me, because then we're going to pray, we're going to jump in this is what every son and daughter needs growing up. Or, because I don't want the adults to escape and think, oh, phew, this is only for little kids. Or, what every adult son and daughter needed growing up. So either way, I want you to know that if you're married and you have kids and you're a parent, this will definitely apply to you. But if you're not a parent and you're a young adult, you're a teenager, or you're an adult and you feel like, oh, your kids are grown Listen to me very carefully on what I'm about to say, please. Your marriage can be affected right now due to what you didn't receive when you were growing up. Your family, the way that you respond to things, I felt the Holy Spirit on that one, is dramatically affected by the way that you received or didn't receive what you didn't receive growing up. Do you know that we could be full-grown adults and still be orphans in our mentality? We could, be, we could be broken in our soul even when we're 40 and 50 and 60 years old. And if we never address these things, we will never get healed. So let's pray. Amen. Welcome. <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for the word today. We pray that you'll give us ears to e- hear your word. This is why we're in church, to worship you, but to also hear your word. We ask you in the name of Jesus that you would anoint and bring deep healing in families and even the, for us who are grown adults, let us not think that this is only for our children. This is for us because you seek to restore that which was lost in our homes, in our hearts, in our marriage, in our family, in our relationship with family. Let us not develop a hard heart listening to your word. I hear that even now. The Bible says in Hebrews, when you hear the word, don't resist and don't turn and develop a hard heart. Today, if you hear the word, receive it. And we receive it. And everyone says, amen. Uh, Let me get a quick drink of water, guys. Hold on. When you drink coffee in the morning and no water, your your mouth gets dry. But 
I want to get you a, a recap of part two. So real quick, this is going to be take two, three minutes. Last week, we talked about part two of family restoration. Now hear me. And I gave the two golden rules to how to restore a fractured relationship, especially in the family. Now that could also, these principles could also be applied to your workplace, to your boss, to friends, to extended family. But because we're talking about family, this, these two golden rules must be applied to your family. And what was the golden rule number one? Now listen, I didn't write the book, so don't get mad because this, this is a little sharp. Golden rule number one, number one of healing a fracture in a family relational dynamic is if the Bible says someone sins against you, you must do the Matthew 18 principle. The Matthew 18 principle says this. If someone sins against you, listen, let's, let's, let's uh, zoom it down to our, our series here. If someone in your family sins against you, hear Pastor George preach today. If someone in your family sins against you, by the way, disclaimer, I'm not talking about anybody, so get that out of your head. He's like, I know he's talking about me. He knows my story. No, stop, stop. I don't know your stories. I know some, but I'm not, I don't do my messages on your stories. Number, the first golden rule is that you, watch this, you must go to the person alone. Everybody say alone. Don't publicize your beef with family on social media. This is just my intro. This is just last week. Don't publicize. There's nothing more cowardly. I said that right. There's nothing more cowardly than to try to passively, aggressively say something to your family without confronting and, and loving them and say, coming to them by yourself. Everybody say alone. So you have to first, I know that many don't want to do that. Listen, you've got to go to them. That's what the Bible says if someone sins against you. The golden rule number two was the Matthew 5 principle. It's golden. It's like, it's like there, there's such clear instruction on restoration from Jesus in here. Golden rule number two is if you know you offended somebody. See, some of us, some of us think that all we are are the victim and that we never hurt anybody. If you know the Bible says that you've offended someone or, or a brother's offended by your actions, I said last week, Tito wasn't here last week, but I said a story when, uh, when, I, when I wounded him by my words years ago when I told him in an altar call. And I just, and I, so what I, I remember feeling the sting of that. Me, Joanne, uh, Tito, and, and Jessica, we all met at Taco Bell, and we, we talked it out. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was years ago. But I felt the sting. Listen, I felt, it, immediately I felt I, I hurt him. I hurt him. You know what the Bible says? Hear me, church, please. This is important. The Bible says, if you have sinned against someone, leave your gift at the altar. That's, that's golden rule number two. I could not continue ministering unless I left my gift and made it right. Some of you, that was years ago, but some of you, you're anointed. You preach real good. You sing real good. But you've offended people, and you've hurt people. And maybe not on purpose, but there's a fracture there. Leave your gift at the altar. Actually, do you know what the Lord says? He goes, I don't want it yet. That's almost, what? No, you no, 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 you don't understand. I'm giving you my, I already, I already apologized to you. God says, it's, enough, it's not enough for you to apologize to me. Get it right with your brother. The Bible says, then come and offer your gift. Pastor George didn't write that. So 
Jesus wrote that. It got quiet in this Methodist room. Come on. The Bible says that golden rule number two is that you know you hurt somebody, don't, don't offer your gift or whatever gift it is. Get it right. Amen? So that was an important uh, two golden rules of last night. Now today I want to share four powerful points, and, I, and I've marinated on this for weeks now, and I believe that what I'm about to share is what every one, every single son and daughter, and I'm, I'm purposely not saying the word children in my message because we all are sons and daughters at one point in our life, okay? We are either sons growing up, and, and we need to hear this, or if you're a parent, you absolutely need to hear this because I believe these truths are going to absolutely revolutionize your family. And I'm going to say this. I've said it before and i say it again. You're getting tools to heal your family, so that means that enemies' attacks may increase on your family. But don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange. Get the tools that you have now that Scripture. And listen, here's the key to everything. Refuse pride. Refuse to be prideful and say, they hurt me. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to close up. That's the worst way to heal a fracture. That's the worst way to even raise sons and daughters. When, when our sons and daughters hurt us, we have to be bigger than that. Amen? And so I'm going to give you what I believe every son and daughter needs in their life, whether it's for children or grown adults. And if you're a parent with a son and daughter living at home, listen closely. And this is for teenagers. This is for young adults. This is for um, all of us. So I like what Enrique did a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to have, uh, Chris is not here, but I, uh, I gave him some scriptures. We're going to have uh, Elijah and uh, Tiffany read uh, some verses for me. So let's look at, before I do, the first thing, everybody look at me because this is super important. The first thing that every son or daughter needs and every adult son and daughter needs in this room to be successful, dare I say, even in their future relationships is affirmation. What every, put that up there, guys. What every son and daughter needs growing up, what every son and daughter that is an adult needs growing up, and I'm going to prove it by Scripture that you don't need, that it's not only for children that need affirmation. Jesus, a grown adult, needed that affirmation, and he received it. I'm going to give you the classic, the classic Scripture on affirmation that I believe is one of the most important things, and I read it really deeply, and I found three layers of affirmation just in this one verse. So Tiffany, why don't you go ahead, or Elijah, sorry, go ahead and read Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's going to be up on the screen. Matthew, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, please. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, Hallelujah. in whom I am well pleased. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, there's, I want you to, first of all, look at the definition of affirmation. It's going to be up there. I looked up the West Webster Dictionary definition of affirmation. And there's a lot. There's a lot in there. But I believe if the world is getting it right, the church should really pay attention to this. Look at what it says, what the definition of affirmation means. Hear me. It means, quote, to validate and confirm someone. 
It also means a positive and approved assertion or conclusion of someone. It's an approval of someone. That's under, that's under affirmation, okay? To show or express a strong belief in someone or something. Oh, look at this next one. The nodding of the head in the gesture of a yes. In other words, that's affirmation. Looking at that someone saying, yes, 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 yes. Watch this. To forcefully declare something as factual. That's affirmation. Now look at me. Look at me. Why do I say this? Every single adult in here, especially your Sons and daughters need your affirmation. And I'm here to boldly say, the teenagers, the young adults, if you didn't get affirmation from your father or your mother, you are not fully, you are not fully healed in the sense of what you truly need to be effective. I totally believe that. I totally believe that. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, the Son of God, was perfect. He didn't need that. But the Father declared to me the affirmation for, listen, all to see. And I saw three layers of this affirmation. I believe every person in this room needs to be affirmed or affirmed like the Heavenly Father affirmed Jesus. Did you see hear what I said? Every person here needs to receive or give affirmation the way the Father did to Jesus to our sons and daughters. Now watch this, watch this, because this is going to hit home to some of you because some of you uh, lack in this to give to others because you never received that from yourself. The first layer that I see of affirmation is the layer of, um, uh, of my beloved son. The, the expression of love. Here's what the first layer of affirmation should look like. It should be a verbal affirmation mingled with love and kindness. He, he could have said this. The father could have said, this is my son and he's God. So you better listen to him. He could have said, this is God in the flesh. You better obey or you're in trouble. He said, first of all, I'm not even addressing the crowd right now. I'm looking at my son. And I just want to publicly declare in front of everyone, he's not just my son. Watch this now. Watch this now. He's my beloved son. Affirmation should look like love mingled with verbal affirmation. Put that slide up, please. Put that, that next slide. Every son or daughter needs verbal affirmation mingled with a love of admiration, a tone, sorry, of admiration of love from their parents. Listen to me. Why is this so important? Because I looked up the word beloved, and it's not going to be on, uh, on the screen, but I looked up the word beloved in the Greek. And you know, what, you know what the Greek word is? Actually, I was a little shocked. The Greek word, a lot of people know the definition of beloved. But do you know the Greek word? The Greek word for beloved is agapetos, where we get the word agape. Beloved is the word agapetos, right? And here's what it means in the Greek. Highly esteemed, highly loved, watch this, the favorite one. He basically said, listen. I could have sent anybody else. I affirm my son in front of everyone, and I just want to declare how much I love him. He's my favorite one. Can I just pause and say that that was so important, not only for the people listening, but for Jesus himself. 
Not that Jesus had, a, 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 in a sense, a flawed about him. No, but he was still 100% man and 100% God. And so he, when he knew the affirmation of the Father, listen, when we know that we are affirmed and approved by, by the Father, no one can stop us. No one can stop us. Could you imagine you're about to do an assignment and you have doubters your way and you have people that say, I don't know if you can make it, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved daughter. Hear her. The second layer of affirmation that we should all receive and all give is the layer, listen, is the, layer, is the second layer, of, no, not that one. Don't, don't, don't put that up yet. No, don't put that up yet. Is in that verse, in that verse, he says a second thing. Not only do I declare my love for my son, hear me now, he gives his approval over his son. Do you want a true definition of affirmation? You need to be loved and you need to be approved. If you didn't receive love and approval growing up, you're missing something. Yes, God could heal that. But let me tell you something. If you're not healed from that, you're not going to give that a love and approval to your sons and your daughters. And you're not going to give it to your spouse. Some of us are so critical about what our spouse is doing that we never affirm them. When was the last time you affirmed your husband? When was the last time you affirmed your, your wife? When was the last time you, you affirmed your son or your daughter? Now watch this. This is important. This is important. Because, because that second layer is... I, I love him. Number two, I approve him. And then here's number three. This is crazy. Are you ready? This is where you're about to hit that next slide, but only when I say it, okay? Now watch this. Watch this. The third layer of affirmation that we all should give our sons and daughters and we should all receive is identity-based, not performance-based. Our affirmation to our loved ones should not only be when they do a good deed. That is important. When they do a good deed to affirm them. But it cannot exclusively be only when they do a good deed. What did Jesus do? Come on, I feel like shouting. To receive that kind of public affirmation from the ancient of days, heavenly father, uncreated God. Nothing. Well, at that time, he had not cast out any demons. He had, not he had not healed one person. Yet the father said, here's my beloved son, that first layer of affirmation, who I am well pleased. In other words, I approve of him. And thirdly, he's done nothing in the natural to deserve it, but I affirm him anyways. If I was the father, this is what I would do. This is my beloved son. I would have waited until the end. Until Jesus would have resurrected 300 people and cast out 1,000 you know, uh, 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 demons and healed 5,000 people. Then I would have a resume performance to give to people to say, oh, okay, that's, watch this, that's why he's pleased with him. If I was the father, humanly speak, I would have said, like, look, guys, this is my son, and I want to give you his resume so you could obey him. He's walked on water. He's walked through walls. He has, listen, he's resurrected people. There's one of them right here named Lazarus. He has cast out demons from several, and he's healed the whole city. Hear him, for I'm well pleased. The people would have said the reason why he's well pleased is he's doing all these things. The father was well pleased by saying, I just love him. He hasn't done anything. Can I say this? Look at this next slide. Now you can put that up. 
True and effective affirmation needed for sons and daughters should be identity-based, not performance-based. It's based on who they are. Oftentimes, I'll say to my sons, I'm proud of you. They'll say, for what? I'm just proud of you. I want to I practice that. I want to practice what the Father did for Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, adults, if you did not get this type of affirmation from your father and you got a negative one or your mother, and it was actually the opposite. You're like, PG, when you say that, I got the opposite. Guess what's going to happen? If you don't get healed, you will cause a fracture in your family by the way you speak to them because you'll, you'll have an opposite effect. Instead of affirmation, you'll be critical all the time. I remember when my, is this coming to me? When my, when my son, my, both of my sons, that we were little, you remember the frog, right? The frog. <laughs> years ago, years ago, I mean, I, I got convicted about this. They would be, they would be like, like some notorious little kids, right, in their school. Not, no, I'm just joking. They weren't, you know. But they would have this little frog, right? And every time in, in preschool, and every time the frog, the, te- the teacher would move the frog, that means they did something bad. So, so they, would, they would come home with, you know, little, I moved my frog today. Right? And they're like, I moved my frog. And then I would start doing something unknowingly that God had to rebuke me for. Because every time I would see them, the first thing that comes out of my mouth was not, hey, how's your school day going? Hey, did you move your frog? Come on, you know, you're not saying amen because you know that's striking some of you. By nature, by nature, we are the opposite of affirming. And the father said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased, and he's done nothing yet to deserve it. I believe every human being in this place needs to receive that type of affirmation. Hallelujah. And, and, and every parent should give this to their sons and daughters. Let's practice Number one, before we go to point number two, let's practice affirming our sons and daughters. Even if they're teenagers, parents, even if they're out of your house, practice affirming them with a tone of admiration towards them. I love you. Even if it's embarrassing to them. It doesn't matter. I I love you. Listen, I'm well pleased with you. Why? Because you're my son. Because you're my daughter. And nothing will change that. And you keep drilling that. Nothing will change that. I am proud of you. Guess what? They're, little by little, those words are going to go, and they're going to shape it because your words will shape your sons and daughters. Even if, listen, even if, uh, this is key, this is important, even if it's not your love language. Well, it's not one of my love language. You still need affirmation. I don't care who you are. You need affirmation growing up. Is that good? Yeah. Number two. The second thing that every son and daughter needs growing up, or every son and daughter needed growing up, watch this now, time and attention. Help us, Holy Spirit. Come on, we're going to talk like a family today, okay? We're going to talk like a family. Every one of you needs time and attention from their parents. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Now, I understand we don't need them that much when we grow older. I get that. I get that we kind of phase out of that. But let me tell you something. It is a perpetual cycle. If you didn't receive time and attention, you're not going to give time and attention. We need to give. We need to make time to give time. Watch that. was a good place to say amen. Now, watch this. I believe a sad story. We're going to read a a story about, I believe, listen, because I've done a lot of study in this, about a righteous king father. Who was, who was good in the public, 
but had some fractures in private. Do you know that it's possible to be very, very uh, efficient publicly and very powerful and fruitful publicly, and in your family life, you're missing it? I'm going to talk about a sad story of a son that never fulfilled his destiny because I believe his father, who was a righteous man, never gave him time and attention. You know who that is? Absalom. Absalom was one of the sons of, listen, David. Now, you got to listen to me. David was a righteous king. He was one of the best kings. As a matter of fact, there was no other king like him, the Bible says. Yeah, I want to say, and you, you're, gonna, you're probably looking at me weird. Why did you select it? How do you know? How do you know? There's enough evidence to see about David's own upbringing to conclude certain things, why he never gave the time and affection for Absalom. I believe if David would have given Absalom the time and attention that he craved, that he would not have turned out like he did. Listen to what I'm about to say. Absalom was so charismatic that he would walk into a room and all heads would turn to him. He was, the Bible says he was very handsome. And historians say he was very strong. He was so handsome that they sold his locks of his hair, the Bible says, for people that wanted it. All eyes turned to him. But he was really looking for one eye to turn to him. You better preach, Pastor George. Come on. Because he could have all the accolades of the room, but he was waiting for his father to say, that's my son. I'm well pleased. I'm going to show you a story that we're going to read right now of a story. And I'm going to give you the backstory of it so you understand how formal this conversation is. Now, I understand David's a king and there was a lot of formality there. But imagine you, your son, and your father having a dialogue like this. And imagine your son, even if you're in a position of authority, like me as a pastor, is pleading with you to go to a festival. And you say, no, you, I'm going to be a bother to you. That's, not me. That's exactly what happened. In this story, in 2 Samuel, I want you to read this. It's going to be up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 13. I believe, Elijah, you have that. Verse 23 through 25 in the NLT. It's going to be up on the screen. Now watch this. I'm going to give you a backstory, but listen to this very carefully. Look at it. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Bahazar near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's son to right. come to a feast. Right. He went to the king and said, my sheep shears are now at work. Stop. His, the king, by the way, is his dad. Okay, keep going. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, no, my son. If we all came, it would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed them, but mm -hmm. the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Look, look at me. The, he, the Bible says Absalom pleaded, in another version, plead, dad, please come to this festival. Please. Now, I'm going to give you a backstory so you understand because you, you have to look and dissect it. So this backstory is this. There was a cultural festival or feast that would happen every time sheep would get sheared. Now, what is sheep shearing? Some of you guys, what is that? Well, once a year, the sheep's wool would get so thick, right, that it's actually sometimes harmful for the sheep if they continue to grow un, un, uh, um, uncut. So they would shear the wool of the sheep, listen, to make it less, but it was also a lucrative business. So they would, they would, they would, sh they would shear the, the wool of the sheep for the sheep's protection, but then it would be a, a, a coat at that time for cold weather or a, 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 a cushion to sit on. It was used for many different purposes. Watch this. Every time culturally that there was sheep shearing, hear me now, there would be a feast. And here 
Now, now, there was a horrific act that happened in this chapter where Amnon, the, the brother of Absalom, are you following me? Absalom's brother, lusted so demonically that he lusted after his own sister Tamar. This is all in this chapter, but I'm giving you a context so you understand this story. And so when Tamar came out, she was, she was beyond ashamed, and Absalom happened to see it. Well, he was inviting in this cultural feast his father, the king, because he wanted his time. He wanted his time because he wanted to tell his, his dad what happened with his brother, Amnon and Tamar, and he pleaded, and listen to this, listen to this, guys, please listen. And the father said, I don't have time for that. That's essentially what he said. He goes, no, you guys go. This is his son. Watch this. We're going to be a bother to you. There's no need to invite me. But I am inviting you. I want you to come with me. No, I don't want, I don't need to be there. I'll just be a bother for you. Now watch this. Fast forward. Watch this. After that incident... The relationship of David and Absalom never was the same ever since that incident. If you do research, the, last, the next time David sees Absalom was three years later. There was a fracture that happened in Absalom's heart. Now, why do I say, why do I say that maybe David didn't know how to spend time? Why? Because it happened to him. He was rejected by his father when he was younger. He was the only one left on purpose, and it was not a mistake. Because the, the prophet Samuel said, bring all of your sons. Jesse knew he all of his sons. And he said, the, one of your sons is going to be the king, next king of Israel. And he called uh, uh, all his sons, Eliab and all these sons. And he purposely left David out because in his mind, there's no way on earth that David will be the next king. He's too young. And when Samuel said, no, 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 no. This is a, here's, I'm giving you a backdrop. Here's what happened. At that moment, when David realized, whether it's in the Bible or not, that he wasn't invited, the spirit of rejected, rejection entered his, his heart. He translated in his heart, my dad, whether it's not, it's not true, but he translated, my dad doesn't love me. My dad doesn't care for me. My parents are, are, are rejecting me. All I, now, here's, now watch this. Here's the next slide. Absalom didn't want his father's blessing. He wanted his time. Absalom didn't just want his father's blessing. He wanted his father's time and attention. Look at me. What happened three years later is that Absalom, Absalom turned and killed his brother because of that murder. Because of what he did, because Amnon did to, um, to Tamar. And then was, had built up so much hatred towards his father that he plotted hundreds of men that were actually on Absalom's side. He convinced hundreds of men to kill his own father. And if it wasn't for the mighty army that David already had, David would have been killed. But in return, his son was killed in war by David's own men. Hear me now. I'm giving you an example that our kids, our sons and daughters, don't just need our blessing. They need our time. Can I, I'm just going to be transparent now. When I was younger, I failed at that. Ministry was on the go, 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 go. 
I would be in my house. I would be discipling all these people, and it would be 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock, and I would be taking phone calls. And I thought I was doing the, the good thing, and here my wife's going, what's, go, what's going on? And in my mind, I'm like, so, someone needs my help, right? And for years, I did not give the time and attention that my sons needed, but then I had to change those things. I had to change those things to get time. What we do as a family, we go out to eat together. And you know what? When we go out to eat, no phone. Praise the Lord. We put it down. We put it in our pocket. And, and, and every now and then we put it and we look at each other like, put your phone away. Yeah, I put my phone. I used to be horrible at that. But Mama Bear rose up. Glory to God. <laughs> There's ways to spend time. And please, I feel this because I have this in my notes. Don't have a guilt trip about how much time is enough time. There's some parents that have a guilt trip because, like, I'm not spending five hours with them. Well, they know you have to work. They know you have to do some things as long as you make time to make time. So when we go out to eat, we're all together as family. That's our time. Busyness will kill time and attention. While you're saving the world, your family can't be dying. Come on, somebody. Stay home. That's the word of the Lord for some of you. Say no to some, all these things out there and start staying home more. They interviewed Billy Graham at the end of his life and said, if you had to do something different, what would it be? He says, I would travel less and I would spend more time with God and spend more time with family. This is a mighty man of God who changed the world but realized I was gone for half of my life from my kid's life. You should be saying amen to that. Absalom didn't fulfill his, test, his, his purpose because I believe he was craving the time and attention of his dad that his dad probably didn't know how to give himself. Can I hear an amen? amen. I believe David had father wounds. I, d I really do. I believe Absalom had father wounds. Let's not heroize all these people in the Bible. Okay? They, had, they were messed up. And they paid the consequence. But you, you could redeem that time. Your son or your daughter could be 40 years old. You could give them a call and say, let's spend some time. I was wrong. I want to spend some time with you. It may take a while, but be intentional to spend time with your family. Because sons and daughters need time and attention. Not just, I will buy you a gift so you could shut up. I'm just going to make, no, here, here, get, here's $100, buy whatever you want. Thanks, Dad. That's not what they want. They want your time. They want your attention. We need time and attention. I want to read some quotes in a book, listen, in a book called The Irreducible Needs of Children. It's not going to be up there. The book says, quote, in order to raise emotionally healthy and protective children, their number one need is a nurturing, consistent connection that involves time and attention with their parents. I'm going to say that again. In order to raise emotionally healthy and protective children, their number one need is a nurturing, consistent connection that involves time and attention with their parents. One step further, the book states, now this is going to sting some of us, but it's okay. I want a sting. The Bible says that David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, before I was cut in the heart by the word, I did what I want. So I'm going to allow this to cut my heart. The, goal, the book further goes on to say, fathers, this is us, ready, all dads, listen to this. That it's the presence of a father that should be the head of the home, 
that determines the success of a child more statistically speaking. The par- again, the parent is important, but statistically, the presence of a father. The book goes on to say, quote, the presence of a father is the single most largest factor. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. In predicting whether a child will graduate from high school, attend college, become involved in crime or drugs, get pregnant before the age of, uh, of 18 or not, whether or not. It's a dad's presence that gives a greater place in a child's life that will ultimately determine the success of their children. Obviously, mom and dad are important. But there's something about fathers. I can't fully understand it. When my wife and raising arrows, God bless some of your kids, but when it gets rambunctious over there, I'm serious. We would brief. It's like, what can we do to help you? And they wouldn't listen to her. The moment the presence of a man came there, I'm telling you, the moment the presence of a father came there, everyone was like. And all Big Lou sometimes would do is just sit there. And they'd be like. <laughs> or or, or uh, Harvest. Harvest would get there. He volunteered. Thank the Lord. And he told me that. He moved my heart. When he was younger, you said something about when you were younger. Say that when you were with the kids, with the kids. When I was younger, it was a it was a man who gave me attention in Sunday school. A man gave you attention in Sunday school. Now watch this. This is gonna cut. You know why the presence of a father back there all of a sudden changes the atmosphere in raising arrows? Because some of them don't have fathers in the home. Or they have a father that doesn't pay time and attention to them. And we got to change. I'm talking to myself. We got to change. It's never too late. We could heal a generation by being present. Say amen. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost on that one. The third thing that every son and daughter needs, put it up there. This is important. Instruction and teaching. Every son and daughter, even every adult son and daughter in this room today, you need instruction and teaching. If your pastor, do a spiritual family, does not instruct and teach you, it's a sign that he doesn't love you. It's the same thing in the home. The third thing that every son and daughter needs is a level of instruction and teaching, watch this, that is not only with your words, but by your example. Every son and daughter, listen, they will do what, they won't do what you expect. They'll do what you accept. Accept in the home. The child, the son or daughter won't just do what you expect because if they, if you expect something out of them and you're not living it in front of them, out in front of them, they're not going to do what you expect if you're not doing it because actions speak louder than words. So every son needs instruction, and they need, listen, they need, they need teaching, but not just through the words. Not excluding words. We need to have words in our teaching, our children. We need to teach them the scriptures. But look at what Proverbs 22, verse 6 says. I think, Tiffany, you have that in the New King James. Look what it says. Oh, this is good. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now watch this. That's a very famous scripture, right? How many, how many have heard that scripture before? 
But look, look how the, the, the Passion Translation says that same very scripture. So you can have a little eye-opening moment about, listen, 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 your role. Everybody say my role. We all have a role to train our children on purpose, not through osmosis. Listen, listen, don't give this spiritual thing like, well, they're just going to watch my life. No, you need to on purpose teach them values. You need to instill values. Do your kids know values of your home? Do they know that what is taboo in your home or not? Or, or is it just any? Can I just, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest here. This is not even my notes. I can't, I can't. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to, to be with somebody, me and my wife be with somebody, that they don't discipline their kids. They don't, they don't train their kids. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's, it's just coming out of me now. Like they're all tearing up the place, and we're looking at them like, are you going to do something? Pop, 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 pop. Hey, hey, pop, pop. Oh, silly girl. You little silly girl. Don't do that. Train up a child. Watch. Um, you're going to see it uh, deeper in the, next, in the last point, this, this, this point. But look at what the Passion Translation says of training up a child. Watch what it says. Watch what it says. Go ahead. Dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that mm. they should go. Yeah. And the values they've learned from oh. you will be with them for life. Woo. Train them up and the values that you instill in them will be with them for the rest of their life. But it takes training. It takes a hard conversation at some time and say, are you listening to this? What are you listening to? Hey, child. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. I know that you're getting older now. You're getting a teenager. But are you still walking with God? I do that with my kids. Sometimes it may be uncomfortable for them, but I have to answer before God one day. And in my house, all of my, my both awesome, amazing, beloved sons, they all know the culture of my house. You know why? Because I, me and my wife have spent years developing the culture. Are we perfect? No, but they know our culture because we've trained them. One of the things we need to train our sons and daughters is the culture that the local church is important. Oh, you missed it right there. One of the ways to train up your sons and daughters is them seeing you wake up in the morning, get dressed, and every Sunday or every week you go to church. I'm telling you, that culture will stay with them when they get older. My parents went to church, so we're going to go to church. Plus, the local church is important. But they get it more, not because the Bible says it's important, because they watched you do it. You could act, isn't it amazing that you could actually say, the Bible says. They're like, oh, no, you never did that, so that's not important to me. It's, you could actually say, the Bible says you got to live right way. I'll get to there one day. But if I, I don't have to force my, my kids to go to church because it's my culture. They have no choice. They have no choice. The day that they leave and go, and, and, and go on their own and they feel like they don't want to go to church, that's on them. But as long as they're living in my house, they're going to go to church. That's a culture. That's a culture. That, that me and my wife establish. The local church is important. Family is important. When people talk to you, look in their eyes. Talk to me. Look at me. Train up a child. If I say train up a child. It's so important because it involves example. Look at, this, look at this slide. Sons and daughters need to be trained by the example of their parents, not just by the words of their parents. 
Praise the Lord. Does anybody know, everybody say example. Does anybody know who uh, Dr. Tony Evans is? Dr. Tony Evans. He's a mighty man of God that I've, I've his integrity followed for years. I'm going to show a, a short video clip of this because, listen, it's important. Please hear me what I'm about to say. Your sons and daughters are watching your example more than they're watching your words. And it's, that's the training part. And you train your sons and daughters by them watching you live out your faith in front of them. Do they see you worshiping God in the house? Do they see you praying in the house? Do they see you, watch this, this is actually part of training. I've had to do this before. Do they see you apologizing quickly as a, as a parent? Hello. When I've messed up and I've yelled at them and, I was, and it, was, it was not a good way to do it, I would get convicted. I would sit in the couch and I said, dad was wrong. What I said was right, but how I said it was wrong. I said it's time to go to bed, but I did it with anger, and I apologize. I'm wrong. We need that, That's training. Amen. Training is like, wow, you could be a father and dad and be wrong, a mom, and be wrong. Because you know how it is, and some people growing up is like, why? No, I can never, no, you're wrong, and I'm, right, I'm always right. I want you to see this video. This is very important. Are you getting something this morning? Touch my heart. It's a two-minute video of Tony Evans, and, and, and he, his, his family was about to go on divorce many years ago. He spoke at a Promise Keepers event years ago. And you're going to see in this clip, listen to me, how one man that lived out his life by an example translated into training into him, and eventually his whole family got saved because of one person's example in the home. Amen? I want you to look at this clip. I was born in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland. fights, knife fights, everything, and it was, they were on their way to a divorce. But one day my daddy went to work. There was a white man who sat down next to him and said, if you died right now, do you know whether you'd go to heaven? My father said, I can't say that I know I'd go to heaven, and that day he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with my daddy. My daddy accepted Jesus Christ as his savior, and we knew the man who went to work that morning was not the same man who came home that day. The only time my father could read the Bible was at 2 in the morning when my mother was asleep. He would get up, he would come downstairs in order to pray, and one of his prayers was, Lord, if you give me the strength, I will, by your grace, save my family, but I can't do it apart from a miraculous intervention by you. My mother made life miserable, but a year later, he heard her coming down at 2 in the morning while she was reading her Bible. He thought to himself, oh no, here we go, another battle. But this night was different because when she came down, she was crying. He said, what's wrong? She said, every time I hate you, you love me. Every time I reject you, you accept me. Every time I turn you away, you pray for me. She said, I have been watching this thinking this was just some religious thing you were on. But you have been nonstop at this for a year. So whatever this is you have must be real. How can I have it right now? She became a fruitful vine. They gathered me and my siblings around the table. Witness to us. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. All of a sudden, our home on that innocent block was unlike the rest of the home. 
on the inner city block. I became the first person in my family to finish high school. Then I became the first person in my family to graduate from college. Then I became the first African-American to get a doctorate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary while working on my doctorate. We started a church with 20 pe 10 people in my house that's now over 5,000 today. While we were developing the church, we started the radio broadcast that's now heard in 450 stations across America and 40 countries around the world. Now, I didn't tell you that to tell you about me. I told you that to tell you about my daddy. You see, he learned to fear God. When he feared God, his mother became a fruitful vine. I became an olive plant. He then took us and raised us in Zion, and that's the reason I'm in the community of the Lord. Come on. Come on. I know this is hitting home, and it better hit home. Let it hit home. Don't resist that thing that you're feeling right now. Don't resist it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If you're getting pricked, accept it. Jesus always exemplified what he taught and trained his disciples by living it himself. Why do you think that the Bible says that out of all the things, listen to me, out of all the things that disciples wanted Jesus to teach them the most, why do you think it was teach us to pray? Because they saw him praying. And they connected the dots that what's happening in his private time when I see him and, he's, and, I, and he doesn't even know that I'm seeing him. That's translating into the miracles that I see over there. What does Luke chapter 11 verse 1 says, whoever is reading it over there? What does it say? Look at this. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Wait, when stop. It came to pass as he was what? What was he doing? That means they were watching him because the writer wrote this. They were watching as he was praying. Watch what it says. When he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, <sighs> teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. They were watching Jesus get up early in the morning and praying and crying out to Abba. And they said, I want that. Let me tell you something. Every son and daughter needs training and example. Not just training by words. Don't exclude the words. But we need to be an example. Mothers, you need to be an example too. Don't be so quick to get on your husbands when they're, when they're failing and when they're trying. And husbands, don't be so critical of your children. Amen. Jesus, look at this point. Jesus constantly demonstrated his values by his actions for all to see even in his private life. I remember a man of God named Kirk Bennett years ago that went to our, my previous church, Orlando House of Prayer, and he uh, flows in the prophetic. He said, if you want your people to do what you're asking them, let them see the back of your head. I'm like, my back of my head? They said, if you're trumping prayer, make sure they see you praying. If you're trumping holiness, make, see, make sure they see you walking a holiness, holy life. Why do you think that as the lead pastor, I'm here every Tuesday when it's sometimes very rough for me? It's a 12-hour day because I want prayer to be important, and I want you to know that I'm showing up so that you can show up. I have authority now on this topic. I have, I, there's other things that I may need to work on, but on this topic, I could challenge you to come because I'm doing it. 
Well, no, I don't have time. I'm the lead pastor and I'm making time. Most churches, their lead pastor, I'm not trying to boast, does not lead the main prayer meeting. He delegates it to their intercessors and they, and they go home. But not me. I want to lead by example. Even though I'm in pain, I know the value of prayer. And I'm going to give you a secret. I'm going to give you a secret. Amen. Thank you for that. I also do it because I have more pull when I ask you to come. Because you see the back of my head. Amen? Are your children seeing, what, what are they seeing the back of your head doing? What are they seeing? Do you read your Bible in front of them? Training. Training. Everybody say training. Okay, I'm going to have uh, the, the worship team come up in just a second. In just a second. But I want to make sure that um, I, 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 I get these scriptures. I want to give you the last thing, and, and, and just bear with me. The last point of what every son and daughter needs. Are you getting something? Here it is. And I, and I alluded to it a little bit because I got a little bit too excited. Now watch this. In this day of cancel culture, this is not going to be popular. Many people will have a hissy fit, what I'm about to say. Every son and daughter needs. Put that up. Put that up. Discipline and correction. Every son and daughter needs discipline and correction. They're coming here for a purpose because I had a vision at the, uh, in, in worship that I'm going to tell you a little bit that involves them. Every son and daughter needs discipline and correction. Everybody say discipline. discipline. Everybody say correction. correction. Now, um, I need you to really pay attention. Don't worry about what's happening with R2G right now. Don't worry about that because this is the final point that I'm going to make. I'm going to give you back-to-back scriptures. So back there, get ready for scriptures. We're going to do rapid-fire scriptures, scriptures, so that Pastor George is not speaking, so that you won't write me emails on the importance of biblical discipline and correction. When our sons and daughters do wrong, we need more than a timeout to correct a generation. You get someone from the hood, time out. I'm going to do that again, bro. <laughs> time out, time out. No, time out from the spanking that you just got. That's what it should be. You believe in spanking? Listen, listen. I believe in godly correction. And listen, spanking in love, not out of anger. Correcting in anger. Your correction and discipline is not only, it's not just physical and it's not just verbal. It's a combination of both. There needs to be a loving time where you sit your son and daughter down and correct them, God forbid. And if they keep on getting rambunctious, you need to pull the rod of correction out. No, no. I, I know some of you go, I can't believe Pastor's saying that. I'm glad you came to church today. Because I'm about to show you not my words. See, some of the older generation, we get it. Because if we pop out of our mouth to our moms, we can even finish a sentence. Mom, I don't think. Now, now it's like, stop it, Linda, Miss Linda, stop it, Linda, stop it, Linda, stop it. And you see these videos, kids are slapping their mom. You saw those videos. Hey, hey, I'm talking. And the mom's like, Ooh. that's why they're growing up the way they're growing up. Because there's no discipline in the home. I'm preaching good this morning. There's no, there's no discipline. We're scared to discipline our kids. 
But I'm going to here to announce, I'm going to read several scriptures to you so you could be shocked what the Bible says, the Bible says about discipline and correction. Can I say something? You could be an adult in here and you're just really uh, uh, all about yourself and you're always throwing a hissy fit. Maybe you never got corrected when you were little. And you grew up to be, you grew up to be, I'm, I'm getting better at that. I'm getting better at that. I was going to apologize, but every, you know, I can feel, feel you guys looking at me. Some of you guys grew up to be spoiled brats. It's not because you want to be. It's because that's how you were trained. No one ever corrected you. You always got what you want. Oh, I'm going to talk about that. Just because the culture today seems to be frowned upon any type of disciplinary or corrective action with our sons or daughters does not mean it's unhealthy, and it doesn't definitely mean that it's not biblical. I want to give you some truths about correction and discipline. Watch this. Zoom in on me. That can actually save a son or daughter's life. Watch this. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Go ahead. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Read that. Watch this. Oh, this is so good. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Wait, wait. Say that from like a Brooklyn girl. Say it. Say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I might as well go NLT then. No, do, do, do New King James first, then NLT. Foolishness is bound up uh-huh. in the heart of a child. Right. The rod of correction will drive it from him. The Bible says foolishness is already bound in the heart of a son and daughter. How do you drive it out of him? The rod of correction. In love. And listen, listen. Every, every correction, hear me now, should look like this. Ten affirmations for every one correction. And it always needs to be in love, not while you're angry. It, correction needs to look like this. Love, love, kiss, hug, pat on the back, love, correction. Love, hit, love, kiss, hug, little kiss, hug, hug, big kiss. Pat on the back, hug, correction. But there needs to be correction. Look at how it reads in the NLT. Glory to God. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, Uh but physical discipline will drive it far away. You know, David had a rod of correction. But in the Hispanic family, I got flashbacks. In the Hispanic family, it was like a boomerang. Hey, what are you doing? Mom, I'm... If I met... Listen, listen, listen. If I messed up and I started bad-mouthing my mom or grandmother, they would take the chancleta out, and they would go, bam. And then guess what? I stopped being foolish. Think about that. It was just a little pop. I was like, ah, uh, uh, you know what? You know when you try to hold the cry? You're like. The rod of correction will drive it out of him. What? Thank God for the chancletas. It got me right. 
I'm not promoting physical abuse. Please don't twist. Don't ever twist my words. I'm never promoting physical abuse. But the way to save a generation is no longer, Bobby, you're hitting me. Time out. No. No, no, no. You're not going to do that. And the next time you do that, my chancleta is going to be felt on your bottom. But watch this. That's one form of correction. Parents, listen to me. Here's what I, I, I want to say to you. Uh, uh, worship team, come up there. Come up. Verbally correct your kids when they're being rambunctious. Because it's not only affecting your ch child. Please hear me what I'm going to say. It's an indication for others to see how you are parenting. When, when your child is loose and uncontrolled, Listen, I, I feel this from the Lord. You better thank God for loving parents that lovingly disciplined you and didn't get your way. Listen to me. Listen to me. Please listen to me. This is, uh, this is important. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I'll never forget this story as long as I live. It marked me. I was a youth pastor of sometimes 200 uh, young people. And I remember when we were starting out, there's this one young lady I'll never forget. There was talking, and there was a whole bunch of youth there, so they were all hearing the conversation. And, sh and I'm like, hey, you guys got to get going because we used to have late nights, you know. Uh, it's like, it's getting late. You need to go. And, and this one young girl, I'll never forget, she said, she said well, um, my parents don't give me a curfew. Listen, 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 listen. They don't give me a curfew, so, you know, I, I, I don't, they don't care. And then all the kids surrounding them, you know what they said? They said, oh, I wish I had your dad. I wish I had your parents that didn't give me a curfew. I wish I had that. That must be cool. And underneath her breath, I'll never forget this. She goes like this. I wish my dad and mother corrected me because it would be proof that they love me. They don't even care where I am right now. I could do whatever I want. I could tell them, hey, I'm about to burn the building. It's okay, honey. Just go do whatever you want. And I never forget, she said, I wish I had a curfew. I said, what? I said, yeah. They said, they don't even know where I'm at right now. They don't care. See, what you think is freedom is actually bondage. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Watch this, watch this. I'm almost there. Are you getting something this morning? Look at Proverbs 13, verse 24 in the NLT. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Stop. How many, how many love their, their kids? How many love them? I want to see your hands. I want to see your hands. How many say you love your kids? Your adult kids too. Parents don't let your adult kids just do whatever they want just because they're adults. You have a right as their father and mother to say, hey, I know you could do what you want, but I still have a duty to say that's wrong. <laughs> son, 30-year-old son, I love you, but what you're doing in that relationship is wrong. You may not like me when I say this, and you may not talk to me for a couple weeks, but I want you to know, or that lifestyle that you're living, even as a 35-year-old, I love you, but I don't accept that in my household. But, but you're always welcome here. I'm preaching good this morning. Look at this. Look at this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Keep going, Elijah. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. What? Well, that's just not the culture. Well, you're, we're not living for the culture. We're living for the kingdom. 
we've become so relevant to the culture that we've become irrelevant to the kingdom. Do you want to be relevant to the culture or relevant to the kingdom? I want to be relevant to the kingdom of God. It says, those who love their children care enough for them to discipline them. It's time to put your house in order. It's time to not in anger, but in love say, I need to talk with you. These are, I'm not going to allow this to happen anymore. Some of you, I feel by the Spirit, you're scared of confrontation. So you allow things to happen, and, you're, and what you're doing is you're allowing a false peace. Don't be a peacekeeper. Be a peacemaker. There's a difference. A peacekeeper says, listen, I want to keep the peace. So what you're doing in your room, I don't care. I'm not going to touch you. I just don't want any drama. That's never going to solve the issue. But you, if you're a peacemaker, like the Bible says, you will make peace even if relationship seems to be not so privy with you at the time. But they will come back and say, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. I'm growing up now, and my kids are this way, and I realize what you were trying to do to, with me the whole time. Oh, God. Two more scriptures, and then we're going to pray. There's a reason why they're here, because I had a vision while we were in worship. And I heard the Lord say, call all the children up from Raising Arrows and call up while we were worshiping all R2G Middle School. And we're going to declare the affirmation of the Father over them. And we're going to challenge parents to be present and spend time. The surest way, look at this slide up, to make life hard and difficult for sons and daughters growing up is to make it easy as possible for them. Challenge, your, challenge them, even if they don't like it. Two more scriptures, but these two are juggernauts. Are you ready? Proverbs 19, verse 18 in the NLT. What does it say? It's going to be up there. Discipline your children while there is hope. <sighs> Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Oh, God. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their life. Who said that? Pastor George? Proverbs, the Holy Scriptures said that. What, have, what has happened to society? What has happened to the family? We no longer, we no longer seek to, to lovingly discipline our children because of, we, watch this, we want to be buddy buddies with them. Parents, your calling first is not to be friends with them. You need to be a father. You need to be a mother. And the icing on the cake, if they're close to you as buddies. But listen, if all you are are buddies to them, they'll never receive a correction that is pretty hard and sharp for them to change their life. I'm going to read that again because it's so powerful. Put that up there again. Discipline your children. While, everybody say, while there's still hope. Say this with me. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Is that, that's a, I couldn't believe that's a Bible verse. I'm here to publicly announce there's still hope. There's still hope. While there's still hope. What does that translate? If you're still breathing, there's still hope. 
If you're alive, there's still hope. Oh, but you don't know where my kids are. They're growing up and they're in drugs. There's still hope. You can reach out to them and love them. You can affirm them. And you can speak a loving correction to them. Now, here's the last scripture, and I'm going to read this. This is why I didn't give it to you. What is the number one goal for godly discipline and godly correction? If you know the scriptures, you know what it is. What is the number one goal in mind from God's standpoint of the reason why we lovingly, godly, biblically discipline and correct our children? What's, what's the number one goal of that? I can't hear. Come on. Okay, obey God. Ways of the Lord. Anybody else? I'm looking for something specifically in the Bible. I'll tell you. The fruit of righteousness to be deeply anchored in them. Watch this. Everybody turn to Hebrews 12 and we're going to end. Because I feel the Holy Spirit here. Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews 12, verse 7 through 11. I'm going to read this. We all know this scripture. But we need it ourselves as adults, but we also need to give it to our sons and daughters. But if you didn't receive it growing up, it's time to allow loving correction. Listen, let, me, let me just say this before I read this. Do you get defensive every time someone lovingly corrects you? Now, I'm not saying with a, a bad agenda, with, a, with an attitude. When someone loves you enough to say, I'll give you an example. This is coming to me now. It wasn't even in my notes. I'm the lead pastor here. I could always play the pastor card, right? Well, I'm the lead pastor. You can't. You know, you, you, it's too much. You know. Last year, and I know I'm not doing good on this today, but last year, Enrique, a spiritual son, because he has access to me, he sent me a video message. You remember that? Marco Polo. And he, I could tell he was like, hey, and he's like, hey, um, I think we need to do a better job starting on time and ending on time. I could have said, hey, who, who, who do you think you are? I responded and said, you're absolutely right. I need to do better than that. Forgive me. I, I need to do better. And for a couple of months, we did really good. Even my wife was like, babe, I'm proud of you. You got out early. Today we're running late because of, of, of things that are happening. But I want to tell you is no one sh should be above correction. No one should be above accountability. I hold you accountable, but you can hold me accountable. Preach that. All right, here it goes. Are you ready? We're all going to read this together, then we're going to pray. What's the goal of godly correction? Here it is. Verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline. I want you to get the kids, the, the raising arrows. Kids, somebody. As you endure this divine discipline. It's a little soft. Everybody say discipline. Remember that God is treating you, speak this, as his own what? Children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by their father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, watch this now, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. That means if you resist the, the Lord's correction, you're not really his kids. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Now watch this. This is key. 
for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always, everybody say always, good for us so that we might share in his, what? Here's the last sentence, please. Zoom in on this last part. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. Duh. I didn't like the chancleta. I wasn't like, hallelujah. Pa, 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 pa. I, didn't like, I didn't like in my flesh being told I go a little long by one of my spiritual sons. But it's that, it's that you need it. You need it because it births humility in you. Watch this. It's painful. If I say it's painful. So God is admitting discipline is painful. So let's get that out of the way. It's supposed to be painful a little bit. Watch this. Not, this is key. The goal, the number one goal for godly discipline in our lives and correction. But afterwards, everybody say afterwards. After what? After what? After the discipline. But afterwards, there will be a peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's another word say right living. For those who are trained in this way. You know the number one goal of godly correction in your life? To drive out rebellion out of you. Drive out selfishness out of you. Drive out pride out of you. And instill righteous living. Come on. Everybody shout for the Lord. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. Come on. I want you to stand to your feet. Hallelujah. We're going to worship first and then we're going to pray. But I want all the children of, our, of Raising Arrows and I want all of R2G in a moment to start coming to this altar because I'm going to do something that I had a vision for. Has the Lord spoken to you today? Has the Lord spoken to you today? So let's recap real quick. What every son and daughter needs, number one, is affirmation. Everybody say affirmation. Mingled with love, approval, and their, and identity base. Say identity base. They need time and attention. Everybody say time and attention. Maybe you haven't received that when you were younger, and God wants to heal you today. Number three, every son and daughter needs instruction and teaching. Everybody say instruction and teaching. Everybody say by example. Everybody say by my example. Say by my example, I can lead my family into righteousness. And number four, discipline and instruction. Sorry, and correction. So I want everyone to lift up your hands right now. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.